They come from the parish of St. Mark in Marikana, and uh, this is of their album Mudimo Wabunt at Aruna, Marikana. And uh, this one is Get uh, Out Samorana. Lord, I will praise you at all times. It's uh, 13 minutes after 7, and so shortly we speak to Father Russell Pollitt. Uh, we'll hear what his thoughts are on uh, the cabinet reshuffle and, of course, uh, the Mog- uh, Mogadishu terror bomb attacks. We'll also hear, uh, of course, uh, I spoke to uh, Justine Limpidlaw about uh, this child uh, dignity protection uh, or child dignity in the digital world conference uh, that took place in Rome. We'll hear what uh, Father Russell's thoughts are uh, on it as well. (laughs) So that's coming up uh, in just a short while here on uh, Radio Veritas 576 AM. And this is Matins. Kona guningi ugula bahingo sana abantu. Gogusha jalum la lelo amingin gulisa nasis me mopel. Ashanga ne jalong wele sine ksugala ge hora le shumna muva. Gyoze gula mule i hora le shumna mbili. La pokona si kuluma apadis lion of juta. Lion of juta. And it's exactly quarter past seven on Radio Veritas 576M here on Matins. Catholics in Action on Matins with Father Emil. And of course, uh, one Catholic in action always is Father Russell Pollitt. Good morning, Kanya. And how are you, Father? I'm well and yourself? Fine, thank you. You haven't done any reshuffling at uh, the Jesuit Institute, have you? Not yet. Uh, we think about it from time to time, but we don't, uh, we don't shuffle as frequently as uh, other people in the country. Uh, okay, so now time to, from time to time you think about it, but you don't necessarily do it. Exactly. Why? <laughs> because, you see, Khanya, uh, when people are in a job, they need a certain amount of time, unless they're completely incompetent, to get the job done. It's a well-known fact, for example, if one reads a lot of business literature, that they say, you know, most CEOs, for example, in companies spend between six and seven years in a position. Um, and, that's, and that's the sort of time where, where people are really able to uh, get used to what they're supposed to do and start to deal with the real issues, get, get things moving. Unless, of course, the person is completely incompetent in that job and then you have to remove them straight away. These reshuffles uh, in the cabinet chain in South Africa, it seems to me... And because there's been so many, remember, this is not the first reshuffle. I mean, there's been, uh, you know, 11 or 12 reshuffles in this presidency. It makes you understand why so many of the departments that are are moved around uh, are not functioning as they should be functioning because people don't get a chance to do anything. Some of these ministers were only appointed in March this year. We're talking six or seven months. There's no way that you can possibly get into a job in six or seven months. People who are incompetent have remained in jobs. One only has to look, for example, towards the Department of uh, Social Welfare to see that uh, our friends are still very much in power and in control there. So this whole thing smacks once again of 
the fact that this has got nothing to do with the good of this country or those various ministries, but simply it's at the behest of one man who's putting his friends in so that he can act with impunity. Father Russell, um, you know exactly what you're saying now, uh, looking at the Department of uh, Communications now, uh, six months in, and uh, well, is it six months? Yeah, about six months in, and then uh, we now have a new, uh, a new minister of communications, and then uh, you know, then uh, obviously for for radio stations, for print media, for uh, yeah, for so many people involved in the telecommunications, uh, Vodacom, Telcom, MTN, whatever, this is this has an effect. Uh, because obviously the new minister has to then learn, you know what what needs to be done in the department. What and then you get a backlog of of things as well happening. Yeah, if there's not a backlog already, remember that if you look very carefully, very carefully at the people who have been asked, uh, and go back further than the latest reshuffle, go back to uh, Nene Gates. It seems that everybody who's been asked from the cabinet are people that have not allowed a certain family and the president to dabble in those departments and get what they wanted out of them. The previous Minister of Communications, you know, I here had said uh, to uh, the president, stay out of this department, I'm running this department. The minister's gone. The Department of uh, the Treasury, Finance, we had someone there who two times now, Nene and Gordon, who said, Keep your fingers out of this. We will run this department because we know what happens when the fingers get into those departments. Exactly the same thing. You know, it, 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 it is really distressing that someone who has got no sense of the common good, who has got no sense of how, you know, these things impact on, on, on so many different uh, uh, parts of, of society, and just carry on to act with such impunity. And look what's happened. Just as another example, last week Friday, a court in this country ruled that it was, uh, you know, it was not rational, it was irrational to drop the charges against the president. Why has the NPA said nothing about that since last week? Because it's exactly what this man wants. He puts people in place who he knows will allow him to act with impunity. Well, uh, it looks like uh, well, uh, if uh, uh, this um, insider on ENCA, uh, you know, if what they say is true, that uh, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa could be the next uh, uh, to be taken out of uh, the Parliament in the next cabinet reshuffle. Yeah, I heard that rumor as well. That uh, you know, now he's considering removing Ramaphosa. Um, you know, we 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 are sitting. Uh, I think and. You know, this is not about uh, uh, anything else except somebody who is is taking as much as he can out of, uh, you know, the system because he knows that there's a few months to go. I think there's jitters about that. And he's just simply, uh, you know, plundering uh, wherever he can. And, you know, whether whatever one thinks of Ramaphosa as a leader, I mean, I think Ramaphosa's got a cloud over his head for a number of things. The fact is that if he should act like that now, can you imagine the instability once again that it introduces 
uh, into government, into society, into investor confidence, into the business community, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, this just eliminate people as you, as, as you feel with no actual good reason for this. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think, I don't think it's at all, you know, sort of exaggerated to say that these sorts of actions can cause a lot of political strife in the country. We're already seeing KwaZulu-Natal, uh, the sort of infighting and people losing their lives. Uh, we know that there's two very strong factions, or maybe even three factions in the ANC. When you start to remove someone who's seen as a leader of that faction, what kind of problems could you be creating? Father Russell, what does this mean for an ordinary Christian in a, a parish in Soweto, for example? What, 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 what am I supposed to, you know, what sort of engagements can one have uh, in a parish to bring this sort of awareness to people? Kanye, I think we have to, uh, more and more, we, we need to stand up. The problem is that people are standing up in pockets all over the place. There needs to be a sense that all of us are standing together. I was talking to a high-ranking church official yesterday, and I was saying, you know, even the churches themselves, our voices are very disparate. You know, for example, at the beginning of this week, uh, you know, the Bishops' Conference, uh, Justice and Peace Department issued a statement about, uh, you know, the the uh, the question of um, of charging uh, the president and calling for an anti-corruption court and so forth. Yes. Now these things are, are good things to do, but this is one lone voice, and there seems to be no ability of us to stand together. So I think ordinary people should first of all be saying to our churches and to our and to our various structures in society, let's come together, let's stand together, let's say, you know, let, let's make sure that we that we are we are speaking with one voice. And I think we're finding that more and more difficult. I don't understand why because. If one looks at the history of this country pre-94, you know, many, many people spoke with one voice. And there was a real wave of, uh, you know, um, 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 sort of, there was a sense that the vast majority of people were singing off the same hymn sheet. We, we don't, we're not getting that anymore. I also think that we, we know people of influence. You know, every, every one of us, even if we talk about ordinary people in the benches, many people who work in various structures, in government, in, in, in all sorts of institutions, are sitting in our benches. They are our friends. They are our neighbors. We need to be talking to those people and saying, you know, together, how how is it that we influence things uh, for the for, to to make to make sure that it goes in the right direction? Uh, you know, I I think that that's important as well. Um, and I also think, you know, that we have to more and more start to think about the kind of people we've got to remove the emotion from these things. The problem is that you know, as soon as one starts to critique certain people or individuals, or not individuals, people or, or parties, you know, it becomes an emotional thing. And I think we've got to try very hard to get the emotion out of, our, out of ourselves, look at the facts, and really come back to the basis from which, the lens from which we should be seeing things, and that is Catholic social teaching, those seven pillars of Catholic social teaching, most especially, you know, option for the poor, uh, most especially common good, you know, th- those pillars are very important. And how do we use those as a lens to get the emotion out of things and to say the hard, cold facts tell us that these are the ways that we should be together acting or speaking out uh, or, or, or doing something to say, you know, enough is enough of this. And, and we're seeing, you know, and we, we're seeing this in every sector of society. We're not just seeing it, Hanya, in the government. 
I mean, look at McKinsey, look at KPMG, and I'm sure McKinsey and KPMG are not the only two. Give it time, more are going to emerge as well. We have ordinary people in our benches working in those places. What can we do or how can we go about, you know, uh, influencing from where we are in, in, our, in our own sphere of influence? Well, in fact, uh, talking about, you know, standing as one voice, uh, now moving on to another issue, this uh, Mogadishu terror bomb attacks. Uh, the world's reaction, what, what are your thoughts on this? Was it uh, uh, prominent enough? No, Do you think absolutely we felt that? not. Yeah. You know, I mean, the hashtag that just kept coming to mind for me is, uh, is that whole question of, uh, you know, uh, Africans don't matter or whatever. You know, I mean, it was disgusting. And, you know, I was even thinking as a user of things like Facebook myself, Within 24 hours of things like the London bombing, the Paris bombing, the thing in Barcelona, Facebook had officially put up a picture frame that you could frame your picture on to show your, your, your sense of solidarity with those that lost their lives. And, you know, one single life lost is one too many. But we're only talking of numbers of 30 or 40 people in some of those places. Here we're talking about over 300 people who get horribly bombed. You see scenes coming off Al Jazeera or CNN. Yes. Um, you know, I think the most prominent one that I saw was actually Al Jazeera. You see scenes of people, you know, in the most devastating circumstances. And yet, this was overshadowed by people like, uh, you know, Donald Trump or whatever the case is. You know, this for me was a serious indication that the, that, the, that the mainstream media, that the Northern Hemisphere, do not have any sense of solidarity with the people of this continent or actually any sense of solidarity with people in the global South or on continents that are developing, like Asia and, and Africa and so forth. I mean, I think it was shocking. And, you know, I, I wonder about things like using things even like Facebook. I mean, I, I sat for for 15, 20 minutes, and I spoke to some people even in the office saying, you know, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I should almost close my Facebook account in protest uh, that this was not given the prominence that it, that it that, you know. Newspapers, newspapers ran all sorts of stories on the front pages. Mogadishu was not on the front page. Mogadishu did not make it to the front page of the New York Times. Barcelona did. Paris did. London did. Charlottesville did. You know, we, we really, we, you know, there is a sense of that things in Africa just don't, uh, we, we, they've not given prominence or priority. And I think it's shocking. And then, Father Russell, I think we end uh, on a positive note. You were in Rome with uh, Justine Limpetlaw. We spoke to her. She was starstruck. Give me your own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Khanya, I would say this is one of the best uh, conferences that I've ever attended. Um, it was very well organized by uh, Father Hans Zollner, who is the vice rector of the Gregorian University, looking at the whole question, as no doubt you know, is child dignity in the digital world. There are 3.2 billion Internet users throughout the world. 800 million of those are children. Sure. We know that uh, there is growing exploitation of children online, sextortion, sexting, you name it. Um, but there were interesting things for me. So normally, you know, when we think of child safety, we think of the big bad person out there. And actually, 
the, the, the research from, from, from people who came to that conference who were from all sorts of spheres. So we had people from Harvard, we had uh, psychologists, we had psychiatrists, we had neurosurgeons, sociologists, Interpol. Uh, we, 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 you know, we had all sorts of people there. Um, even Facebook and Microsoft are present. Uh, they're showing us that actually, you know, a, a lot of abuse is happening within the child's immediate sphere. Parents uh, are using uh, lured images, selling images of their children, uh, other family members, uh, you know, so people who are close to them. And even more shocking is the fact that you know, very often it's the child's peers. They go to school, they go into the bathroom maybe to, to, to change uh, for a gym class or something, and some children take pictures of other children and put them, uh, you know, on WhatsApp groups and so forth. So we're seeing a lot of the stuff happening not just from the danger out there that there's some, you know, uh, uh, person with a problem uh, hanging out there somewhere who's looking for you, but actually happening in the, peop- uh, the people that the child has contact with. But I think the thing that uh, really is the good side of this is that we've got to realize the dangers of this. I think Pope Francis himself spoke very well uh, about this issue. He, he certainly highlighted the church's role and said that the church because of the recent uh, past of the church and, and the many uh, things that happened uh, in the church, we need to take responsibility, needs to repent. And because of our experience as church, we need to be at the forefront of making sure that we fight the scourge uh, against uh, uh, children. So, uh, you know, really, I really, I really sense that not only just the people at the Gregorian University and the Child Protection Unit there and some people, uh, you know, on, on the peripheries, but there was a real sense that you know, with the Pope and the Secretary of State, Cardinal Parolin there, this is something that people from all over the world are coming together to look at, to discuss, because it's something that we don't know too much about. It's, 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 it's this, this digital ecology is a world that, that you know, we, we're still navigating and negotiating. But a real sense that there's a lot of goodwill from people across the board, across religious, across different professions, uh, that were uh, uh, saying, let's work together, let's find a way in, in all the places that we come from of forming a global network where in our own ways we can support each other and try to, uh, uh, you know, do something about protecting children. And so the Jesuit Institute will be doing something on this, right? Yeah, we, we, we have been working on this. You know, we've been presenting workshops on this for the last two or three years. But what we are doing now is uh, I'm having a, a serious uh, a teleconference next week with the Gregorian University. We will probably become a partner of the Gregorian University's Child Protection Unit. Uh, we will undergo the necessary training from the Gregorian University. We will then be able to uh, assist in helping facilitating the training of others. And I am talking to various uh, stakeholders at the moment. We are seriously considering putting together a similar conference about child protection in the digital space nice. here in South Africa next year yes, uh, so that uh, we can bring together key people in the Southern African region uh, to discuss this and to hopefully find ways that uh, from as many angles as possible uh, we can network to, to ensure a safe environment for uh, our children. And of course, if this was uh, disseminated to schools, and I mean all schools, uh, because uh, this is of course uh, where... Uh, where it needs to be to be taught and the kids need to know the dangers. Absolutely. So what we would be doing is we'd be looking uh, at schools and, and, it's, and it's got to be a multi-pronged approach. So we're looking at schools, we're looking at teachers, we're looking at parents. We, we're looking at 
at, at that at those those three groups at the moment are sort of important groups uh, to focus on. And then, of course, there's all sorts of other people as well. We need to be talking to law enforcement. We need to be talking to uh, uh, companies who, who, who produce uh, software. So, you know, say, uh, so for example, Microsoft and Facebook have got child protection officers. The Southern African Child Protection Office is someone that needs to be brought into that group as well. We need to be talking to, uh, you know, academics who are studying this stuff. We need to be talking as well to psychologists who are working with children and the effects of these things that they're finding. So, indeed, we start with, uh, as you rightly put it, you know, uh, in the schools with teachers and uh, boards of schools, parents and children. But there are other parts of this puzzle which are going to be very important to bring into the conversation as well. And your meeting, Pope Francis, it wasn't the first time, right? I met him at the Family Synod in uh, 2015, so I met him for a second time now. Uh, I'm very privileged to do that. Um, he, uh, you know, the Pope is an amazing man, because when he was actually giving his talk and he came into the room, I thought, well, Pope Francis really looks very uh, tired today, and he sort of made his way through the talk. And then as soon as he started to meet people, his face lightened, and he, he suddenly had energy, and he was having little <laughs> conversations, and... So uh, I, I was introduced by Father Hans Zollner to the Pope, and in actual fact, uh, our, our Johannesburg priest, Father Simon Donnelly, was doing the interpretation for the Pope that day, and uh, Father Zollner said, this is a Jesuit, and uh, no, he said, uh, this is this is a Father Russell from South Africa, and I said to the Holy Father, yes, I'm a Jesuit, so he said, oh, South Africa and a Jesuit, I said, yes, and then I said to him, so you're surrounded by South Africans, and you've got one behind you and one in front of you, because Simon Donnelly was standing uh uh, sort of uh, uh, just behind the, the Holy Father. And he said, oh, two South Africans. He said, oh, I must be careful where I stand, you know, and he sort of laughed. So, uh, you know, uh, he's he's a very uh, warm, personable uh, sort of man and uh, certainly much prefers to be talking to people than standing up giving formal speeches. And I've seen this now a few times. I noticed that the last time, and uh, again, it struck me very much so this time, how, how just uh, he, he really likes that human contact. Yes. So if it was by him, he would just uh, come down and speak to ev- to all of you and not necessarily make a formal speech. <laughs> exactly. You know, Kanya, it's interesting you say that because I've been to uh, an, I've been to a few audiences and I and I remember, you know, in, with John Paul II and also with Benedict the Sixteenth, you know, they they would only, uh, for example, meet the people in the front row of these audiences, the, the so-called important people, the people who gave the inputs and things. I said to Justine, I said, don't think that you're going to be able to meet the Pope because, uh, you know, this is definitely... And there was another lady sitting next to me. I said, they normally take only the first two rows, and we were in row five. So row one went, and row two went, and row three went. And then I thought to myself, oh, well, our luck will be it's going to stop at row four. Then I heard afterwards, Pope Francis says, if people come there to see him, he owes them the respect to make sure that he greets everybody who's there. So he greeted every single participant's hand, even those who were responsible just simply for, you know, doing the kind of running jobs, you know, people standing at the doors giving out pamphlets or people doing the registration. Everybody was invited, and Pope Francis stood there and, and, and greeted every single person. And that, that's the kind of man we're dealing with, someone who really finds a consolation, I think, and a, and a warmth in connecting with human beings, with individuals. 
And that's Father Russell Pollitt, Director of the Jesuit Institute. Go onto the website jesuitinstitute.org.za or call them 011-482-4237. Father Russell, we speak again next week. Indeed we will. God bless. Have a good week. Thanks, Father.